started having a problem with my throat in uh, Sunday school, so you'll pray for me and you'll forgive me already if I clear my throat several times. <clears throat> Lord willing, I won't have to. I'm not sick or anything. I don't know what happened. As I was considering where to go to after John chapter 12, I thought about maybe taking a detour. Times I'll do that. Um, but I felt gripped to continue on into John chapter 13 uh, because we have reached uh, the middle, really, of the Gospel of John. And now we go to a lengthy section specifically to instruct God's people. Uh, Chapters 13 through 17 has been called the Holy of Holies of the Lord's Discourses by some. In this section, we find such teachings on heaven, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, how one has union with Christ, and as Christ has union with His people, and the necessity and privilege of prayer, and many other topics that will, Lord willing, cover as we go through this specific focus to the people of God. The truth found in these chapters are for the Lord's people. The audience is not wide, but it is deliberately narrow, intimate, being taught in a matter of hours, much of it in the upper room. We find in chapters 13 through 17, Christ alone with his own. Christ alone with his own. In chapter 12, we saw that the feet of the Lord were anointed. In chapter 13, Jesus the Lord washes the feet of his own. The feet of the Lord first being anointed before the feet of the disciples were washed. Jesus having preeminence in all things. As Colossians tells us, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Jesus, knowing what to expect, warned the disciples and instructed them on how to experience peace, even in tribulation. Before his his crucifixion, hours before his crucifixion, Jesus said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests. And the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him. And in three days later, he will rise again. And in these chapters in John, Jesus prepares his followers for what is to come. And as we would learn by application, as we would learn. to apply these things to our lives as well for what may indeed come. Jesus prepared his people by saying, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. See that in John chapter 15. Jesus also instructs his disciples to love one another just as he 
has loved them. Also, what we find here in chapter 13 through chapter 17 is a farewell discourse of the Lord Jesus Christ. Based on, in many ways, of Moses' farewell discourse in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and 33. And also Joshua's farewell discourse in Joshua 23 and 24. So we see here this one verse really for us this morning. Chapter 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Again, I ask God that you would please help me to be faithful to your word, O Lord. God, that you would do a work in all of our hearts where needed, O Lord. That you would give us great understanding of this. That you would uh, grab a hold of our hearts, Lord, and grab a hold of our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So just before the Passover feast, we recall in chapter 12, verse 1, that it was six days before the Passover. Now we have hours before the crucifixion. The feast had arrived. The suffering of the Lord was close. The crucifixion was no longer days away, but hours. And Jesus, of course, knew that his hour had come. We find this verb several times. In this chapter alone, in chapter 3, or verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and he was going back to God. Jesus knowing certain things, for he knew, verse 11, the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. And verse 18, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Also, we find in chapter 18, verse 4, So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming up upon him, went forth and said to them, Who do you seek? And while he was suffering on the cross, we see as Jesus, as, as the gospel says, after this Jesus knowing all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scriptures said, I am thirsty. This hour did not surprise Jesus. If ever there was one who walked this earth who was never taken by surprise, it was Jesus Christ. This tremendous divine insight he had into his upcoming death. This hour was the marking, the fact that the departure of this world and returning to the Father was at hand. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, I'll just read this for you. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. And John 15, 18 through 21, I reference already, uh, Jesus says, I chose you out of this world. Jesus praying to the Father in John chapter 17. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, as I just skipped a page. This was a moment of a shift of focus as we go to chapter as we go to chapter 13 for our study and this is a moment of my shift of focus as I go back the page to where I'm supposed to be. <clears throat> it's indeed good gifts that God gives us at times and laughter is one of them even at someone else's expense. My mom, my mom used to say laugh, laughing is better than crying and indeed many ways But not always that is true. The public ministry of Christ had now come to a close. And the focus, at least for this uh, next several chapters, was on his own. Up until the point, the time in the ministry of Jesus was to the people in general. Now from chapter 13 onward, his ministry... uh, is composed of teaching those who he loves with a particular intimate love. So it behooves us to better understand the word world before we really dive into our first point, which is particular love. We find this word world uh, numerous times throughout the Scriptures. And context helps us to determine what is meant. Uh, This word World, cosmos in the Greek, occurs 185 times in the New Testament, 78 of which are in the Gospel of John, and 24 times in his three epistles, and three in the book of Revelation, not Revelations, Revelation. The word world is used in a variety of ways. In fact, in in Steve Lawson's Foundation of Grace, he lists 10 ways the word world is used. And I will list these ways for us. We won't go into all the details of these ways, but these are all found in the Gospel of John. The word world can be used, and we see the context. If we were to study these out, we would say, aha, I see it, can refer to the entire universe. And that's chapter 1, verse 10. The physical earth, uh, chapter 13, verse 11, I believe that is. Uh, The world system, and that's chapter 12, verse 31. Humanity minus believers, chapter 7, verse 7. A large group of people, chapter 12, verse 19. The general public, chapter 7, verse 4. It can refer to Jews and Gentiles, uh, John chapter 1, verse 29. Uh, It can refer to human relations, uh, John chapter 1, verse 10. It can refer to the non-elect, John chapter 17, verse 9. It can refer to the elect only, John 317, 633, and 1247. So it's important for us to just see the context and contrasts when the Lord speaks of something of this world and we see what else is there. So we find here in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus was going to depart from this world, from humanity, from this land, from this earth, from this world. And to the Father he would return. And we see this uh, over and over again. Chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go prepare a place for you. He is departing from this 
world. And in verse 28, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. And in chapter 16 in verse 10, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And in verse 28 of chapter 16, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. And in chapter 17, verse 5, Now, Father, when Jesus is praying, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So it's no surprise. Uh, it should not shock us that Jesus is saying that he is going to depart. He is going back to the Father. He's leaving this world, the physical earth he would depart from and return to the Father who is in heaven. It should be no surprise also as we have studied the doctrine of election from Ephesians, maybe a couple of years ago that was, from the Gospel of John, from Wednesday night study of, our, of Order Salutis, the Order of Salvation, and from our time in 1 Peter and uh, chapter 1 and 2 on Sunday nights, we are seeing election over and over again found in the Scriptures. And from the book recommended, a Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John Murray. We should not be surprised that there is a particular love that Christ has for those whom he saves out of this world. First point for us this morning, particular love. The world meaning sinful humanity. The world of human beings. Out of this world of humanity that is under the rule of the God of this world, lowercase g, the prince of darkness, out of this world of humanity, out of this system of the world with its rebellion and hostility toward God, out of this Christ loved His own and He chose His own. Agreeing here with James Boyce that this use of cosmos here includes uh, the world's values, pleasures, pastimes, and aspirations. Out of that, he chooses his own. And he loves them with a particular love. This world that he chooses those out of is a world that does not know Jesus Christ. It is a world that is hostile to Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 1, I just read it when I skipped ahead, so it will remind us of it. See how great the love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. He chose us out of this world, Christian. God calls some out of this world. Those whom He calls out of this world with the effectual call, are those who are His own. His own that He loves with a particular love that only the child of God benefits from. And as He loves and dies for His own out of this world, He sends them back into the world to be lights in this world. So these next chapters that we will go through verse by verse 
as we plan to do so. This includes Jesus preparing his disciples for the mission to the world. And how we need to be prepared to, uh, to minister, minister to this world in these dark days. These love letters from the Lord. These specific truths for a specific people. For the church. His people who he set his love on and in whom he died for. This particular love is also his divine love. Secondly. A divine love. Having loved his own who were in the world. There are a people that are set apart by God the Father for Christ the Son. A people set apart by God the Father for Christ the Son. A John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me, says the Lord, will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. And when Jesus prays in chapter 17, he says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And we see uh, this love further defined in 1 John. I invite you to turn there. 1 John chapter 4. And we may go back there again, but 1 John chapter we wouldn't expect uh, in our thinking to see uh, the word love mentioned approximately 24 times in this uh, section in 1 John chapter 4 but God in his uh, divine wisdom put that there for us to give us understanding of who God is and give us understanding that we're not to again, uh, misuse Scripture and take things out of context as we discussed earlier in Sunday school. All things are possible with God. You look at that in context and that is speaking of salvation. And here we see as John is writing about love and we see here twice God is love, we dare not take that out of context either. And use that, or dare not say, well, love is God, because that is erroneous to say that. The highest concentration of the word love is found here in 1 John chapter 4, and beginning in verse 7. Let's just read some of this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Again, we are going to be looking at, we are looking at chapter 13, verse 1 in John, and here we want to see better defined for us this love and what that means for the believer. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. In what is love? Uh, God, in what is love? In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This great sacrifice, this great act of love, which there is no comparison. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 11, verse 12. 
No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. And the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. The one who loves God should love his brother also. Pretty clear. God is love. This phrase we find in Scripture distinguishes God's love from all other love. There is no other type of love like God's love. John also says God is spirit. God is light. God is merciful. God is mighty. The truth in chapter 4, God is love, tells us that God's love does not come from someone or something outside of him. But it is God's nature. Joel Beakey puts it this way. Even prior to creation, God's love involves relationships and self-giving within a trinity. John teaches that God is love comes through the gospel framed by the trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God manifests His love by giving His only begotten Son the highest price He could pay to demonstrate His love for the world. Greatest display of God's love for us is grounded upon his love for his son. So our response to such love that we have just studied so far, it's like, what do we do then? Very simply, love God and love others. Loving God and loving others. Particular love, this divine love, it's also a distinguished love. So as we continue on in our study in John chapter 13, over the many weeks and months, and we'll see how long we need to understand that God shows his love to humanity and God shows a particular love to his people. We need to distinguish this. We will define this as general love and special love. General love and Special love. General love, God's goodness towards all creatures. Okay, Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all His works. God gives a greater value, of course, to people. Uh, because man is created in the image of God, people have souls. You remember the uh, 
the story I told about the lady who asked, who had two dogs that never stopped barking, basically, and were a terror. And they were cute, but they were small dogs. And she asked the pastor, you know, pastor, do dogs go to heaven when they die? And the pastor said to her, well, I know one thing for sure. Your dogs certainly, certainly won't. So. But animals don't have the souls that, that we have. But God cares for animals, yet man has dominion over animals. And oftentimes we see in a culture this love for animals more than a love for humanity. To the extreme. But God provides for the birds. He provides for flowers. And he provides even for animals that I call consequences of the fall. Squirrels. (laughs) Chipmunks. As cute as they are. Skunks. And insects such as mosquitoes. I, I was surprised to learn that there was mosquitoes up here. But if you've ever spent time in the South, you'll find the real mosquitoes. But loving differently, how can we relate? Well, we absolutely can relate to this. We love people in our lives differently. If you're married, you love your spouse differently than you love your child. If you have siblings, you love your siblings differently than you would love your pets. I'm not saying who you love more or not, I'm just saying different. Christians, we have a love for the people of God that cannot be, uh, cannot be duplicated to those who are not of Christ, those who um, are not, who are of this world. Do we have a love for them? Yes. Do we love people in this world? Absolutely. But the love is different. That is the point. And above all, we are to love God. Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we see we, we love differently. And God shows His love to humanity, His general love in, in His provisions. The rain, the sunshine, the unregenerate God-hater benefits from uh, sunshine, from rain, even snow, even good coffee. All the benefits that creation, God's creation provides. Relationships, recreation, the ability to prosper, to become wealthy. Look at the richest people in the world, the top ten or whatever it is. Unbeliever, 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 unbeliever. How did they make all of that? God gave them the ability to do that. All these blessings and many others are ways that God shows His general love to both Christians and non-Christians, to the righteous and to the wicked. Even the rich young ruler was loved. um, And he loved his wealth more than God. And we looked at that again this morning. He loved his money more than God. And he was shown love by Jesus. It says in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus felt a love for him, and this is a man who turned his back on Jesus because of money. Notice that Jesus did not say to him, well, I have a wonderful plan for your life, and I love you. No, Jesus preached the law of God to him. And the man saw his sin, and he did not turn to Christ. 
He turned away from Christ. This man did not follow Jesus, and we have nothing in Scripture that tells us he ever repented and trusted in Jesus. God does show his love towards those who hate him. And he has shown, uh, his, he shows his wrath also towards those who hate him. We who are Christians this morning, prior to our salvation, were by nature children of wrath. Yet it's misleading to say that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. That is a misleading statement to say that God, well, he hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Scripture says in Psalm 5, 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who does iniquity. And and Psalm 11, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked and the one who loved violence, his soul hates. Another scripture says God is angry with the wicked every day. Augustine said, in a wonderful and divine manner, even when he hated us, he loved us. So how do we reconcile that? How can we reconcile that? Through the cross? Through the cross of Christ. The only way to reconcile this is at the cross, where the greatest act of love was shown towards his people. This particular redemption for a particular people that are shown a particular love. We don't deserve God's love, Christian. We didn't earn God's love. There was nothing so special in us that God decided, well, you know, there's a special one there. I think I'm going to show him my love. He chose us to show his love and to shed his love upon us with this special love. Special love love. God's particular special love shown to some people, his people. He, Jesus, loved his own. Do you think he actually think he loved the Pharisees and he loved the Sadducees in the same way that he loved these disciples? He loved his own. His own are a people set apart by the Father, sovereignly elected and predestined. In many ways, if we think about All of that theologically, we we say, wow, the Trinity is so much involved in this. And we as Christians are really uh, just a long for this, a a gift to the Son from, from the Father. These given to the Son as a loved gift from God the Father, paid for, purchased by the Son in his passive and active obedience and sacrificial death on the cross. These sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, these are recipients of God's special love. We are recipients, Christians, of this. And it, the scripture even says, uh, has many descriptions for us. We've seen that in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 on Sunday evenings. We, we see it in other scriptures. Beloved of God, called as saints, Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Beloved of God, that's who we are. And we're called as saints. Chosen of God, holy and beloved, Colossians 3.12. Before we were even born, as Romans chapter 9 teaches us, he loved us. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus says in John 15, 
greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Perkins says, God's love for us is like a ocean or a sea without bank or bottom. And so let me encourage you as well as we mentioned in, in Sunday school to the person who is lost and, and hating God. It's not best to walk up to them and say, well, you know, God loves you. Everything's going to be okay. And this, that, and the other. They need to, we need to share the gospel, preach the gospel as Jesus did and as Paul did, using the law of God to show sinners their sin and giving them the marvelous grace of his gospel. Because most times out there, the one who is rejecting God, who is living for themselves, they love themselves so much, they could care less that God loves them. They need to be uh, catechized and, and asked questions about, oh, you really think God loves you, or does God love you? Let's talk about this. And they need to understand that they've offended a holy God. And we can do that winsomely, as the description is. We can do that lovingly, and we do that boldly as well. There is a, a best way to evangelize, and there's ways that really fall very short. But there's not just one way to evangelize. Beloved of God, called as saints, that's who we are, brother and sister. Great love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. How and why do we belong to Christ? How are we His own? Well, again, John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Paul writes, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And how great a price it was, believer. How great a price that was paid, that we were ransomed, that we were purchased. That we would never get over that. As we heard this morning, a brother sharing his testimony about when he was saved as a young man. He never forgot the day. He did not forget the message of Jonah. He can still hear it in his mind. He can still hear the preacher. Spurgeon said, A man can surely choose his own wife, and Christ chose his own church. While the Scripture stands, that doctrine can never be eradicated from it. Jesus calls us his own. His own sheep, his own disciples, his own friends, his own brethren, the members of his body. Thus he distinguishes us from the rest of mankind and sets us apart unto himself. As the time for the cross was so near, Jesus was concerned for his own. He was concerned for the disciples there and he was concerned for us. He loved his own by teaching them and ministering to them for three years. He discipled them and he loved them and he loves us and he died 
for us, Christian. Also, as a way of encouragement, God loves you and nothing can change that. Nothing can alter that. No one can take that away. I remember when I was in a secular college before I went to seminary, years and years ago, I had a psychology professor and he told me to get to keep going to get this degree because no one can take that away from you. No one can take that away from you. And it's true. You, okay, I have the degrees and whatever, but, and no one can take that away from you. Much more so, this love that God has on us cannot be taken away, cannot be changed. There's nothing you can do as a true born-again Christian that will make God not love you any longer. Particular love, this divine love, this distinguished love, and it's also an unending love. It's an unending love. We see the scripture tells us here, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. The Greek here is a bit ambiguous. Um, it's a possible, most likely a double meaning here. He loved them to the end, meaning he loved them to the uttermost, and he loved them to the end. We could take away some... Uh, truth from this this morning, several things. First, he loved them to the end of Jesus' life on earth before his crucifixion. His, his life on earth was going to end. The crucifixion was near. This private focus, this private ministry was, was afoot. It was uh, at hand. The departure of the Lord was hours away, and his love for his own did not cease. It did not change. He loved them to the end of his, his life on earth. Also, he loved them to the end of their lives, just as he loves us, Christian, to the end of our lives, this side of glory. Jesus loves you, Christian, and he will continue to love you. Also, to the very end, in other words, forever for eternity. And Paul tells us something on this. This is a great encouragement for us. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and following. When we consider the question of what what could ever separate us from the love of God? Is there anything that could separate us from the love of God? Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Stop there for a moment. This verse, it's, it's a familiar verse to us, but look at that. God causes all things to work together for good. Whatever a Christian that you may be going through in your life right now, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, not to the God-hater, to those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. That would be every single one of us as born-again Christians here this morning. This is for us. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. 
that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. These whom he predestined, he also called with this effectual call. And these whom he called, he also justified. He declared them righteous. And these whom he declared righteous, he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how can we not also with him give us all things? Or how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Well, Satan will try to bring a charge against God's elect. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Can any of that separate us from the love of God? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. To the very end, brother and sister, He will love you to the very end. And also to the full extent. He loves us to the full extent. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. A full atonement, not impartial, but of whole. Paid in full. A sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end. He loved us. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The sacrifice for our sins. To the end. Crewmaker says, Oh, how He loved them when He took their sins with Him into judgment and cast Himself into the fire which their transgressions had kindled. How he loved them when his own blood did not seek to him too dear a price to be paid for them. He loved them to the end. Particular love, divine love, a distinguished love, and it is an unending love. People will say to us, or maybe have said to you in your life, Oh, I'll love you forever. Oh, I'll love you forever. And they stab you in the back, and that's no way to love someone forever. Someone once said, God has done some things for all men. And God has done all things for some men. Listen again. God has done some things for all men, but God has done all things for some. Dear Christian, He has done all things for you. Christ has loved his own with a specific, in a specific salvific way. He loves you to the uttermost. His love is not capricious. It is not a changing love. Just as the Lord kept on loving his disciples, as imperfect as they were, even Peter when he denied Christ three times, Christ continues to keep on loving us. 
and in particular love. He continues to ever intercede for us. Well, how do we respond to such love? How do we respond to this? Well, Jesus expressed His love towards the Father. How? Well, John 14, verse 31 tells us, So that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. By obedience, it was known. By obedience to the Father, Jesus Christ said, his, it, was, it was known to the world. He did exactly as the Father commanded to Him. To love God is to live a life in obedience to God. We're also called to love one another. Love our brethren. Love like Jesus loved. That's to love each other until the end. Have any love for one another, even for those who are hard to love. And we all have those in our life. Believers in our life, some who are not easiest to love from our perspective. But how are we supposed to love? Paul tells us, Bible says, let love be without hypocrisy. This is in Romans 12. How do we love? Let, let, let our love be without hypocrisy. Uh, abhor what is evil. Regard with horror. Detest Shrink back from what is evil. Shrink back from what is evil. Cling to what is good. What is evil? Sin. The ways of the world. Those are the things that are evil. Be devoted to one another. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. What is good? What the Word of God says is good. God defines what is good for us. God defines what is good for humanity. That's what we are to love and to shun and regard with horror and detest what is evil and cling to what is good as if our life depended on it because it does. Be devoted to one another. Love one another as Christ commanded us to with in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. In the first Corinthians 13, we'll finish with this verse as I make a couple of more points for us. 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 4, Love is patient, love is kind, and it is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. But love never fails. We are to show Christ-like love to those who, has God, who God has put into our lives by His sovereign plan. Here we are in a local church together. Here we are. This God has placed us together. He thought it was best to place us together and to love one another as He has commanded. In this church, and recognize as well, we are to love lost sinners. And the most loving thing we can do at times is to tell lost people the truth. That's how we can love them the best. And at times we understand that we've preached the gospel to them 
we've tried to share the gospel with them, and they do not want to hear it. They want, want nothing. Don't say anything to me about that Jesus anymore. But I still want to have a relationship with you. And there's still a way to have that relationship with them without compromising on your own convictions. You can still uh, war and fight for their souls in the prayer closet. Which may actually be more effective than us trying to share the gospel with someone who is hostile to it. But what can we do? And what ought we do? Is to pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. As long as they are breathing, we pray for them. Loving lost sinners. God has left us behind enemy lines for a reason. To rescue others. And to point others to the way, the narrow, the narrow gates. Perhaps there are some here who Christ would call His own. Perhaps God may in His mercy be revealing to you now, even now, that He is calling you to come to Him, to be His own. Oh, that the Lord would reveal this love for you and give you the grace to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you from one verse we can see that you love your own. You love them to the end. Thank you, Lord, that you love your people till the end. You show a general love to humanity, and we see that. And we thank you, even for those in our families and our friends who don't know you, that you're still showing kindness to them, oh God. You showed us kindness before you saved us as well. This general love, this kindness. Lord, but there may be people in here who have not been a recipient of your particular love, who have never repented of their sin, who have never seen that they stand before a holy God and they are wicked and they need you. They need to turn to the Lord who is holy. God, we pray you would reveal that to them this day. In Jesus' name, amen.